Um, Proverbs chapter 6 in verse 16. I'm going to be teaching about being a good, hateful Christian. Maybe sounds like an oxymoron, sounds ironic, but as we read our text, I think we'll know why I mean about being a good, hateful Christian, and as where we're to hate what the Lord um, hates. Proverbs 6, Daddy, if you could get the mic on, please. In Proverbs 6, verse 16, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So when we read that, we're like, if there's six, then how is the seven an abomination? You know, that's how I know your math. Like, it may, it, in our mind, it might make sense. Um, five of the six, rather than there's six, but then there's a seven. But this is a poetic type of language to say, okay, Here's the first six, but the seventh is really bad. Now, they're all bad because they're all things that God hates, but it says the seventh are an abomination unto them. And so first we see a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that device of wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speak of lies, and he that sow of discord among forever. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Psalm 45, verse 7 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. So God loves righteousness. And so he hates wickedness. And so when there is something that God loves, there's also going to be that what he loves. And I've used this illustration before that, um, you know, um, we love our children. And so we would hate anything that would cause um, a grievous offense to them. Now I'm talking about like, okay, you know, like kids were playing and someone got hurt. It's not like you hate the other kid. Because um, you're playing like that, but somebody that would intentionally do them harm, you would hate um, that. And, and so, when you love something, it requires something that you would hate as well. You know, you love God, and you know, you get the, it's the psalmist says, you know, you know, I love all thy ways, and I hate is every false way. And so, we're going to look at these seven things. But um, one of them is a proud look. A proud look. God hates pride. And oftentimes we can be e easily um, diminish how bad pride is. But yet that is what brought Satan's fall. When Jesus I saw him as lightning fall from heaven with a third um, of the angels. That it all began with pride. Began with pride. The temptation that Satan used in the Garden of Eden was pride. That you know he where he tells Eve that you know you know you know if you eat it you'll be wise. If you eat it you'll be as gods. You know, that pride. 
a proud look. It is an attitude that overvalues self and undervalues others. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. That God's going to resist. It's going to be like you're running into a wall when you have that proud look. God hates pride. Now that's different than having the confidence in the Lord. And you know, when God gives you a talent, God gives you a skill, and your confidence is in the Lord, your attitude is grateful, and you use that talent to serve the Lord, to serve the body of Christ in your work, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruit of your labor, like the Bible um, teaches, that, that the laboring man may he enjoy the fruit of his labor. That's not pride, that's a spirit of gratefulness and enjoying what God gives. But when it becomes prideful, God resists. But he gives grace to the humble. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Psalm 131 says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters, or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is given as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from his forth and forever. We see David working on exercising that humility and, and, and being in prayer for Israel and that Israel's hope would be in the Lord forever. A prayer of humility. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, that heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things have mine hand made, and all those things have been, have been saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So that God looks to those that would be of a poor and contrite spirit, a spirit of humility. God gives grace to the humble, but he hates the proud look. Number two that God hates is a lying tongue, a tongue that lies. I don't think we really have to wonder, why does God hate this? You know, when you've been lied to, you hate it, don't you? No one likes to be lied to. And often, you know, we feel guilty when we do lie. 
And you know what? That's where you know it. Thank God for His grace that we could repent, we could turn, we could make things right. But um, I was talking to a couple Muslims just this last week. And one of them made a joke. goes, yeah, in Islam, no, we don't really have that much of a problem with adultery because we're allowed to have four wives. Um, that was his attitude then. And I was like, well, that in of itself is adultery. But I said, um, uh, like we're talking about confessing sin and stuff. And I was like asking them um, about, because um, um, one of them said in Pakistan um, is per capita, it's the number one um, for pornography views on the internet. I was like, why is that the case if that would also be against Islam? And he goes, well, of course, again, we're, we're human as well. But in Pakistan, if things are done in the open, you know, you could be killed. You could be locked up, have your hands cut off, or jailed, or be killed. And so they do it in the privacy of their home. But here in America, everyone just does it all in the open. And you know, he kind of does have a little bit of a point there. But then um, he was talking about confession. And I was like, well, you know what? There should still be a confession. Now, you know what? This is wrong. This is sinful. Adultery is sinful. And we should confess it and forsake it. And he goes, well, if you commit adultery, it's best if you don't tell your wife. That is best if she doesn't know because it could bring more harm, it could bring more hurt. And they both said this. And I was like, no, this has confession the way wrong. Yes, I understand that confession is going to um, be hurtful of such a, a thing, something of that magnitude. But a lying tongue, God hates. And so would our spouse. To hate a lying tongue. Lying is never justified, even if it's to try to save face. You should confess. But their attitude literally was what they don't know won't hurt them. Wrong attitude. Have you ever noticed that there is far more said throughout the Bible about the abuse of the tongue than is said about even the abuse of alcohol? The abuse of the tongue is something that is common to all humans, you know what, all ethnicities, all languages. People talk about the tongues movement. There is a big tongues movement, um, but it's called the lying tongue. And how tragic is it when our tongue is used to spew out lies? Psalm 120, verse 1 says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And there again we see that humility. Now you know, when we get caught, when we get in trouble, we're quick to sometimes say a lie before we even process it. And so here the psalmist realizes this, Lord, please deliver me from the deceitful tongue. Deliver me from lying lips. That lying tongue is something that God hates. And we ought to hate it in ourselves even more than we hate it in others. 
Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Murder. Like I say, over this last year during the government's um, pandemic, that murder is spiking. People aren't working, and so they've gone to the streets trying to take matters in their own hands in evil ways, and murder is on the rise in broad daylight. Robberies are happening before. You know, it used to be, you know, men love darkness rather than light because they want to hide from being exposed. But now with how much many of the city councils have turned their back on law enforcement, they're just running wild, just wild in the daylight. And many of them are committing murder. God says the murderer shall be punished because he took that which God said is sacred, the human life. The popular idea today is completely opposite. That they say after a man has been killed, the murderer is brought to trial. But then oftentimes during the trial, then suddenly the murderer's life is considered precious. And where they want to abolish the death penalty. And, 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 and yet God says that human life is precious, and that when a murderer kills a man, then he is to forfeit his own life. Genesis 9.6 says, Whoso shed a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God may he man. Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 10 says that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. But if any man hate his neighbor, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and flee of him to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Thine eyes shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. You know, even the Bible recognizes, you know, there's a difference between accidental manslaughter and outright murder. That, you know, there are times where things maybe happen on a complete accident. Maybe, okay, today it could be an auto accident and one of the party dies. And it wasn't necessarily by any um, ne intentional negligence. Maybe it was ice on the road or, or something of that matter. You know, in the Bible times, you know, it, it, there was a recognition still, though, even though it was an accident, the other families, when they would feel that hurt, they could potentially still feel anger towards the person, try to say, you know, how could this have been avoided? And so, you know, there would be a refuge city, a city of refuge, where they would be able to go to, um, and so they were separated from the regular part of society, but they did not lose their life, that they would continue to live their life in the refuge city. But if it was a murderer, the Bible says, you know, no, you fetch them. You don't let them go to these refuge cities, but they ought to pay the price for their crime. 
Now, unless it is personal self-defense of yourself in the moment, it doesn't mean we're supposed to just go and take matters in our own hands. Now, in Romans 13, talks about there being a process, that God has ordained um, certain ones for that role. Romans 13, 4, um, it says, For he is the minister of God to be for good. Talking about a good, a righteous government. And um, it says, um, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore he must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. And so that there would be in the proper role of government where they would carry out the death penalty. And there, there would be a trial that they would be innocent until proven guilty and not the other way around. A lot of times different crimes go unchecked in society because there is no punishment or it is prolonged for a long time. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because the sentence, because of a judgment, it's not executed speedily. The sons of men continue to do evil. And that's what we really saw in this past year. That there was no punishment. That those committing the crimes were being bowed out by liberal politicians. For them just to go back in society and commit the same crimes again and again. And it's because a sentence against an evil work it's not executed speedily. You know, we even have a fault in our system where someone's committed murder, they're found guilty, there's no dispute about it, and they wait 25, 30 years before giving them the death penalty, and then that's where more the emotions start to run, and we're like, let's not execute the death penalty. But that's where the Bible says, don't pity them. They mark the image of God. Exodus 21-22. Well, we live in a society that now treats murder of innocent children. And we call it woman's health care. Exodus 21-22 says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mystery follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will I lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So he says, you know what, if men are fine, they're fine, and he accidentally hurt a woman, and then the child dies. Okay, it's an accident, but it could have been avoided, and so there is a punishment to pay, but the Bible gives a stronger penalty if mischief follows. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so it goes on. And so we see there, the Bible even sees 
the child is the living being in the womb. And even our own laws recognize that if someone else causes harm to the woman, but it's the doctor, they don't see it the same. They see it as just medical health care. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. It says, When thou art coming to the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, someone that would speak to the, to the dead. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And so we see a lot of things in there. You know, a lot of these things are promoted in movies, promoted in video games, and we turn a blind eye to it. But the Bible says it's an abomination. And amongst these is one that makes their child to pass through the fire. That was talking about the fires of Moloch, where they would offer newborn babies as sacrifices to the god of Moloch, um, the Moloch idol, and would burn the child alive. And we would see that as the abomination of a pagan nation, but yet we do the same thing in our country. It's just in the name of Planned Parenthood. It's wicked. I understand that, you know, there's many that have maybe made that unfortunate choice. And you know what there are is forgiveness in the grace of Christ. And we need to not let the past to hold us back. That God does wash us clean. He does forgive us of our sins. But how much better it would be to try and prevent from even doing so. But thank God for His grace, for His forgiveness. Number four, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Wicked imaginations. In Matthew 15, Matthew 15, verse 19, says, For out of the heart Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defile of not a man. And so here Jesus brings out about that a lot of sin, it begins in the heart. Begins in the mind. A heart that divisive wicked imaginations. Second Corinthians ten five says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalt of itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so there is the struggle with the flesh that we will have bad thoughts come to our mind. 
And that's where we want to bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And to be careful not to let the mental battle that um, we may face that brings us down, or it could be either the evil thoughts or the, the lack of allowing Christ to really forgive us and living in our guilt for the past, but to cast down imaginations, every high thing that assaulted itself against the knowledge of God. And basically, when we stay in bondage, saying that the grace of God is not sufficient for our behavior. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Bad behavior. Isaiah 59, 7 says, their feet run to evil. It's not that they just walk to evil or they, they attempted to do evil, but these are people that run to do evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. We live in a society that runs to do evil. Whereas in our scripture, I forget exactly how it goes, but it talks about when we exalt the wicked, then wicked men abound on the side. Now when we've exalted wicked men, evil men, to high places, it's just going to become commonplace that wicked men will be running all around us. God hates those that have feet that are swift to run into mission. A false witness that speak of lies. This is basically mentioned twice. There is a difference, though, because in one case, we are, we are just telling a lie. God hates the lying lips, but he hates even more, or equally, okay, but when we're lying and bearing false witness. That not only are we lying, we are lying about someone else. We are bearing false witness. What are some examples in Scripture where we see that? Where someone gave false witness about someone else? When the queen, I forget, Mary, when she Because of that, he got thrown in prison. 
Spirit. We bear false witness. Other people's lives are affected by it. And God hates it. But yet we see Joseph. We don't see anything there with him wondering, God, what did I do to sin against you that all these bad things are happening to me? That was one thing. You know, it's a good thing sometimes to understand, but Lord, is this happening because I'm not walking with you? The Bible is about God chastens us. But every time bad things happen, does not mean God is punishing us. Joseph, we see that he was faithful, he was a faithful brother. His brother sold him into slavery. Joseph didn't do anything worthy to be thrown into slavery. Is it because he wasn't following God? No. Because he was following God. He mentioned a dream that God gave him. And then Joseph, with Potiphar's wife, was he getting punished because he wasn't doing something right? No, he was struggling because he did that which was right. He did the right thing, and he's getting punished for it. We see later he gets in prison. God gives him the gift of interpretation of dreams. Gives him an interpretation to the butler and the baker. And then the one that got out, he asked him, he goes, please remember me. And let him know that I've been interpreted. Totally forgot. Stuck in prison even longer. You see, over and over in Joseph's life, he suffered not because he wasn't following God, but he suffered because he was following God or in spite of following God. Okay, that, that you know what? Sometimes you know you're following God. You know what? Sometimes it's not persecution happening to you, but something bad happens. You know, it's called life in this world. Bad things are going to happen to good people. But that's where you know what? We are just pilgrims passing through. That this world is not our home. That we do have an eternal home to look forward to and can keep our sight on that. And let us just have the attitude. It's a mental battle, yes. But Lord, you're allowing this to happen in my life. Is there something you want me to learn? Is there something you're teaching me? But regardless of whatever happens, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. You know what? Job's wife got discouraged because she saw all the negative things happening in Job that Satan was doing about. She kind of gave up and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Job's like, no, you speak, it's a foolish woman. He retained his integrity and he cursed not God. You know what we see in Job's life in the latter end? God blessed him abundantly. Gave him double. Doesn't mean it wasn't hard when he was going through the trial. What happened with Joseph? We see eventually he was exalted. To be next to the Pharaoh. And he saved his own family. In the time of famine. His family that turned him into slavery. Sold him into slavery. And yet, God used that to save his family. What a picture of Christ and forgiving 
those that have done him wrong. And, and then we see that he's, um, that Joseph says, that what you meant for me for evil, God meant for good. To save his people. And it would be through that seed that the Messiah would eventually come from. And so Joseph, no doubt, did not understand everything that was taking place behind the scenes. But yet God was unfolding his plan. And so that's where we really need to work on trusting in God. Having confidence in God's plan, even when we're in hardship. Number seven. There's the one where it says it's an abomination. Yea, six things that we hate, but the seven is an abomination to the Lord. He that soweth discord among brethren. You could, all, all of these that we've talked about, you can talk about how it affects things in the home. Um, the, the proud look, how pride negatively affects the home. A lying tongue does. If someone wants to shed innocent blood. Um, uh, wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift to run the evil. A false witness. That will all devastate a home and an intentional sowing of discord among family. Um, will cause discord. Discord will cause discord. Imagine that. You look at the workplace. Any of these things aren't good. You look at it in an individual's life. It's not good. God hates. But you all see where it's about self-discord among brethren. Now you know we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brethren is the term, older term for brothers. That um. Um, and, and as you can look at it in the church context, he that soweth discord among brethren is an abomination. How does discord usually start? Anybody? How does discord often start? There's going to be many different answers. Okay, gossip. Jealousy. Okay, someone can get jealous. Okay, you know, say it could be, hey, pastor asked somebody to preach. You know, why didn't he ask me? You know, that could be something. Um, what was something else? Hate. Hey, yeah, you know, the hate. You know, that's where you know what Jesus confronts. Um, the, the murder is, you know, the murder starts in the heart when you hate your brother without cause. Anything else? Okay, so this word, you know, part of it does, you know, the Bible says only by pride come of contention. It could be by pride. But often it starts with complaining. Complaining about something. And being at home, it could be at work. You know, at work, I hear people start complaining um, to someone else about it. And then all of a sudden, both people are complaining about it. And then they'll try to pull other people in. And then it starts to sow discord in the working environment and makes it no longer pleasant. God forbid, but it could happen in the church. And again, it often starts with complaining to one another. Numbers 11.1 1 says, And when the people complain, it made the Lord happy. 
can you say that? So when the people complain, it displeased the Lord. Numbers 11, 1, if you're one that highlighted or circling. When the people complain, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. God hates discord. You know, when you do anything for the Lord, you know, when you do anything in work, when you, when, you, when you do anything where you maybe are successful at, if you're in political office, as a matter of words, you're going to receive criticism. And as the receiver of criticism, you should chew on it like bubblegum. Chew on it like, you know what, is there any merit to it? Is there any way I gave this perception? And try and learn from it. Hey, you know, political leaders, okay, of course, they're going to get criticism. You know, they're in the limelight. Okay? And sometimes they're deserved of the criticism. Other times they're falsely accused. They're, people bear false witness. And so that's where, you know, be careful. You know what? Don't just follow what the media tells you. They want to give you a certain narrative. But when you do something, I believe it, I've got the quote with me by Teddy Roosevelt. Um, talked about, you know, it basically it's the man in the arena that's going to be criticized by those that are not doing anything. But I'm also treat praise the same way. Okay? True on it in a sense of be thankful, appreciate it, but spit it out. Don't focus on it. Do that with both praise and criticism. And when you criticize, chew on it, wonder, but then spit it out. You know, you don't chew on it for a long time, do you? It starts to get real nasty. Okay? You chew on it, just wonder, is there anything I can learn? And then spit it out so you're not consumed by it. You know, the story is told of an old man whose grandson rode a donkey while they were traveling from one city to another. The man heard some people say, Would you look at that old man suffering on his feet while that strong young boy is totally capable of walking? So then the old man rode the donkey while the boy walked. And he heard some people say, Would you look at that, a healthy man making the poor young boy suffer? Can you believe it? So the man and the boy both rode the donkey. And they heard some people say, well, you look at those heavy brutes making that poor donkey suffer. So they both got off and walked until they heard some people say, when you look at the waste, a perfectly good donkey not being used. Finally, the scene shifts and we see the boy walking and the old man carrying the donkey. No matter what you do, someone will always criticize it. And so do not make your decision making be based on how other people are going to criticize you. You follow the Lord. You see God's will for your life. And when you know you're doing right, don't let it weigh on you. Again, you say, is there any merit? Sure. And then just spit it out. Okay? But if you're going to do anything for the Lord, expect to be criticized. Proverbs 26 Proverbs 26, verse 20. 
where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife season. As coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tailbearer are as wounds, that they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver drops. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips, and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fear, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that roll up a stone, it will return upon him. A lion tongue, hate of those that are afflicted by it, and a fluttering mouth, work of ruin. Just don't take the wood out. The fire goes out. When there's no wood, the fire goes out. My wife and I just went hiking, just a little day hike, not a day hike, like an hour and a half hike, okay, not really that much of a hike, but we went out and we got this new portable stove so we could use for when we go hiking and cook food, and so we were kind of around, so we're like, let's get, let's get in, let's just go, it's starting, it's, the sun's going to set soon, let's get out of here. So you got everything? So I guess I got everything. Let's go. And so we get going, and I'm still trying to think, what else do we need? And I didn't even look in our bags or anything, but we just go. We got the stove. We got the gas. But we had no match. Had no luck. And we didn't realize it until we were at the end of the trail. And I go, no, I didn't. You bring the lighter. Man, it's like, let's go back. I'm hungry. <laughs> like, see, where there's no wood, that wouldn't matter. There's no wood to start the fire. Doesn't go. We had two components. We had, and maybe if we were expert survivalists, we could have figured out how to start a fire there. But hey, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. That's where the Bible says, cast out a scorner. That there's a time to cast a scorner out. Because then the strife will cease. And here the Bible talks about oftentimes those flatter, those speak fair, they'll give flattering words, they'll try and be endearing to you. But then now their lips eventually come poison to try and entice you to think the same way they think about something. And then give you only one side, one perspective of it. And then what ends up happening is sometimes, you know, things go unresolved and people end up getting bitter um, against someone else and nothing is resolved. It's just bitterness. The Bible says a whisper separated chief friends. James chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and he will also do bridle the whole body. 
Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth, meaning where he wills. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiled the whole body and set upon fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And so there, it talks about how there's the tongue, a little fire could set horse and nature on fire. Well, all these fires that Quinn is having you try and put out, starts off from a little fire. Sometimes it's always a cigarette thrown out the window. On a very hot day. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it could be from fireworks in a very dry environment, um, different things, but it often start with a small fire, but then it destroys many. And that's how it can happen in the church body as well. A little fire can destroy much good that has been accomplished. Proverbs 25, 23 says, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. And the Bible tells us, you know, let not the sun set upon your wrath, be angry and sin not. Um, that, you know, we need to be careful with our anger, that we're not sinning in anger, that we need to be careful that the wrath, our wrath, we don't stay mad in our spouse when we're going to bed. Because we're probably going to wake up feeling the same way. That we should have a quick resolution to issues. But the Bible does say, an anger countenance drives away a backbiting tongue. So you want to try and keep that away. Keep that away from infecting your family. Sometimes this could be with uh, different in-laws, um, family aunts, uncles. Um, your home, you know, you make sure you guard and protect your home and make sure you don't just start speaking ill of others. It can affect the workplace, as I mentioned, and it can affect the church, and I've seen it do so in the past. I've seen how it has destroyed a sweet fellowship. I remember several years ago um, that someone was um, writing um, letters attempting to undermine the ministry um, here, and it's a visitor got the, the, this letter. And it's pretending that he was brand new in the church. Brand new. Been coming for about six weeks. And he was growing and he was talking about how wonderful it is to be a part of a church here, to be growing, that he enjoys the preaching, that it's edifying, that it's challenging. And then he got that letter. And he called me and told me, what's this letter about? And I said, you know what, I tried keeping them from sending that letter out, um, but they were sending it out, and, and, they, and um, I go, I don't agree with it at all, um, and 
But he says, you know, I'm not coming to church there again. You know, I've been a part of a church before, um, and there was gossip, and they tried to get rid of the pastor there, and they just was so much division, and I don't want to be part of another church that has division. It's a new person in our church. Hey, he did come back a couple of times a few years later and stuff, and then his health kind of got back. But he was someone didn't have, he wasn't at odds with me at all. We love seeing our children, but because they got, the letter was passed attacking others, other leadership, and, and including myself. So I, I don't want to be a part of it. Seeing people that are searching for the Lord, so close to salvation possibly, and because of gossip, end up being gone. People that God was working on. So we need to be careful how we use our lips. And many times it can be un unintentional, like things that we're not really upset about, but it can put blinders on somebody. You know, I remember going soul winning with a friend of mine into the previous church. We're going soul winning. And, he, and we're inviting people to church. And he tells the guy, you know what, our church is not the most exciting church. It's actually rather pretty boring. You know, the pastor's getting a little bit older. He can't really keep his thoughts together. Help me, he said that part. He said something along those lines. But it does preach the Bible. So I encourage you to come. Well, with how you just disqualified the ministry, why would that person ever want to come? That person never did come. Now, I don't know if he would have came if he was more positive. I don't know that. But I know he did not come, possibly in part, because you just disqualified the church you were inviting them to. I've heard other people that, you know what, someone asked them about what church they go to, and it was here. And, 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 and they're like, but there are some things that we disagree with, like we're not, King, we don't use the King James, and we're not, um, they're not reforming their theology, and, and so just telling them everything they disagreed about. And this was someone that was struggling, you know what, just was struggling with addiction, trying to overcome it, trying to find out what church they go to, but by that disqualifying statements, Came. I guarantee you, if they first walked in, they're probably not going to be like, oh man, that church uses a King James, I'm out of here. It would not have likely entered their thoughts. But because it was mentioned as a negative, miss out on reaching that couple. No wonder the Bible says to be angry in a backbiting tongue. And that it is something that God calls an abomination. That six things of the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. I've seen it over and over, too. Sometimes they're backbiting someone in the church. You know, and I got your back. You know, sometimes someone's criticizing someone, and go, hey, you know what, I'll tell you. Explain the whole scenario. If it's you, 
Um, if not, then not. But I've seen it where people tear about, tear down others. I think two on my mind right now. Um, that they um, speaking ill of someone else. And they left the church after they caused a big firestorm. And then they lost their job the next month. Saw it happen again. Tearing down the church. Tearing down the leadership in the church. Try right, make a storm. Some of you maybe were here with it. Made a big scene in here. And left. Started talking about how I was acting like the Pope and everything. And said, I'm a dictator. That month lost his job. I don't know if that's the judgment of the Lord or not. We need to be careful that we're not too quick to judge. But I can't say I've seen that kind of pattern. Yeah, you know, you mock God's bride, Christ's bride, the church, that oftentimes bad things will happen. Now, this doesn't mean that every time something bad happens, that is the judgment of the Lord. We swim over that. This doesn't mean that if the Lord moved you to another church, that you're going to be faithful there, you move. That doesn't mean something bad is going to happen, okay? But I would watch out if it's through that backbiting time, if it's tearing down church. How often, when is Christ going to walk out on his church? Well, I'm thankful he's not. Men, don't walk out on your wives. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That is pleasant. For brethren to dwell together in unity. That God loves them. You know, when you see other people suffer and you think that it may be the judgment of the Lord, that's where, you know, the Bible also says, revenge not yourselves. Take not vengeance in your own hands. We see Moses' attitude when the people complain to him and complain to the Lord and it displeased the Lord. Moses prayed for those people. He wasn't saying, God, please judge them. He was praying, Lord, please have mercy on them. That should be our attitude. We've had an incident like one I mentioned. So, we went and went to be a blessing to them, to provide them in a time of need when they lost their job. So, bless those that persecute you. Bless those that mean ill will to you. Don't be high-minded and try to take vengeance. It's better when the Lord brings vengeance, when the Lord chastens. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren dwell together in unity. And we'll close with this, Proverbs 6, verse 12, which going right along with the thought already given that God will punish the doers of those that do what he hates. Proverbs 6, verse 12. says, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers, 
Frowardness is in his heart, a device of mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. So God will judge, chasten those that are doers of that which God hates. So be a good, hateful Christian and hate what God hates. 